You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we're grateful for your word, grateful for the great gift of the, the, the knowledge of you that we can gain from it. It's something you didn't have to give us, and yet you did. It's, uh, it's further evidence of your goodness and grace toward us. And Lord, today this is a topic that, uh, it's an ugly topic, a dark topic, topic of sin. It's one that you've taught us a lot about. So we have to understand the depravity of our sin, so we can understand the goodness of grace and the, the greatness of the gospel. And so that's what we're set out to do today as much as we, we can, Lord. And pray that you'd be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've been, uh, so what's happening today? The Barbers are on vacation. So that means I don't have a place to teach, so they let me teach over here for one day, which is nice. We've been working through a systematic theology with the youth kids, uh, youth, young people. So they're, they're not all kids, and... They don't like to be called kids, probably. I, I didn't. We, we went through the whole gamut. We started with bibliology, went through theology proper. We're working now in biblical anthropology. You know what anthropology is? You can say things. It's the study of ants. <laughs> Actually, pretty close. <laughs> the study of man. We're doing a biblical anthropology. That's what does the Bible have to say. We started with... Uh, Psalm 8, which isn't going to be up here. Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? What is man that, that God would take thought of us and that God would care for us? That's, that's the question, and we're looking at God's word for answers to that. We've been focused so far on man as image bearer, the highness, the greatness of man. As the pinnacle of creation. We looked at man as two genders, and still only two genders. That We looked at man as dichotomy, man as body and soul. And now we're going to start looking today at man as sinner. We won't get through uh, even everything that I've prepared today. We'll have a few lessons over there for the young people on this. This is a quote from Blaise Pascal. Whatever you think of him, he's very intelligent. Uh, this is what he had to say. For a religion to be true... It must have known our nature. It must have known its greatness and smallness and the reason for both. What other religion but Christianity has known this? Right, so we've been looking at our, the greatness of man as image bearer, the pinnacle of creation, and, and today we begin to look at man in sin. Okay? It's called hamartiology. Hamartiology. I think that's how you say it. Hamartiology, the study of sin. How important is sin as a topic of interest in the Bible? I looked up sin, sin and in all of its forms, sinful, sin, sinning, sinner, sinist, whatever words have sin in them. Not, and you have to make sure you don't get words like since, because that popped up and I'm like, wow, there really is a lot. But you take since and other words like that. So the words for sin, 720 times in the English word sin, 720 times in the New American Standard. And so what are some words that I would have missed? 
What are some other words for sin in the Bible? Transgressions. Yeah, what else? Disobedience. Iniquity. What? Darkness. Wickedness. Depravity. There's a lot of them. Unrighteousness, ungodliness. If you if you try to put a list together, and I, I had an incomplete list and checked for all of those, you're getting up to about a thousand times in the scripture where those sorts of words are used. And you know, if you're reading your Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about sin, and so we need to study it. So what is sin? I'll give you first some theological definitions. First is from MacArthur Mayhew, their their systematic theology. Sin is any lack of conformity to God's will and attitude, thought, or action, whether committed actively or passively. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism, this is number 14, question 14, the answer to question 14, which is what is sin. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgressions of the law of God. If you're not familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith, it was the um, the great confession that was written in the 1640s. We wouldn't agree with everything in there, but we'd agree with a lot of stuff in there. It's a really wonderful document. It helps with clarity on some of these things. So those are some theological definitions from systematic theologies. What's the Bible say about it? What is sin? We're going to look at some biblical words for sin first. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're familiar with that. That's the word hamartia. That's where hamartiology gets its name. It means to miss the mark. It literally means to miss the mark as in a target, uh, to fall short. And this is the, the chief New Testament word for sin. Have you heard that before? It means to miss the mark. A very similar Hebrew word. I won't try to pronounce it. Somebody want to try to pronounce that that speaks Hebrew? I did the phonetic thing up there. Justin, you want to sh- try that one? No. <laughs> Kata. Yeah, I think there's like that that sound that like only Semitic people can make. It starts like here. You expectorate on people when you try to say it. So it means to miss. It's very similar to the Greek word in meaning. It means to miss or to go wrong. It's the general Old Testament word for sin. There's lots of other words that they mean to rebel or to trespass, to betray. <clears throat> words that mean to pass over. <clears throat> to pass over something or to cross over something. We'll often translate as transgress or trespass. You can see the meaning of the word from some of the, the Hebrew verses there. Judges 20.16, this is not related to sin. Gives you an idea what the word means though. Out of all these people, 700 choice men were left-handed. Each one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Miss is that word for sin. Okay? It means to miss, to miss the mark. It's the most common use. Psalm 51 is that great uh, psalm of repentance. And that's where David says, against you, you only, I have sinned. That's that same word. So we have these words that mean missing a mark, straying from a path, rebelling against something, passing over something, crossing over something. So there has to be a something. What is the mark that's being missed? What is it that 
that's being missed? What's the path that we're straying from? God's will. Okay? The will of God. We have to be careful with that, right? Because there's, a, there's, there's the decorative will of God that we can't stray from. It's the, the will of decree, God's decree, God's will from eternity past where He ordained all things that would come to pass, His sovereign will. And we can't, we can't disobey that. So it's His will of decree, right? His decorative will, His decrees, His laws, His precepts. That's what we miss. And that's what the Bible says. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's what the definition John gives us. Sin is lawlessness. And we're going to look at a couple other passages. These are from Romans 2, and those might be hard to read, but you have a Bible. Romans 2. We'll start with 17 through 24. And if you stay in Romans, we'll have a lot of uh, passages in Romans. Romans 2, 17-24. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You say that one should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as is written. So what's broken there? What's, what's the law that is broken in this passage? Yeah, he's going through the Ten Commandments. Several of the Ten Commandments. The law of God, the, the, the written law, the Mosaic law, is what is broken here. So sin could be said to be breaking the Mosaic law, but what about those who don't have the law? Right, we, we see Jesus used the law in Matthew 5. He, he magnified the law and showed us how it was impossible to keep the law. But what about those who don't have the law? This is also Romans 2. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So what law is broken there? What law? They don't have the written law. What law do they have? They have the conscience, the law of God written on their hearts. So when unbelievers do that which they know to be wrong, they break the law of God. They're lawless. They're lawbreakers. Okay? So that's what sin is. It's lack of conformity to His will. Before we move on, why is sin so bad? Why do you make such a big deal out of it? Why is sin so bad? What makes sin bad? Not sin bad, like the sailor, but space of sin. What makes sin bad? Linda? So that it makes us a God unto ourselves. What's wrong with that? Usurping God's position. It's what the devil did, Lenny says. 
Why is it why is it so bad to sin against God? I mean, why is it so bad? That's what we've got to remember. God is God. Right? He is so holy and so great and so infinite, so wonderful and marvelous. And we are creatures of dust. It's that contrast. We can't make ourselves to be Him. That's, that's the worst thing we could do. To disobey Him, it's the worst thing we could do. It's not the nature of the sin. It's not the, the nature of the lie itself. It's that you are disobeying what God told you to do. Because God is so great and so high and so mighty. I was going to bring in a video, but technology doesn't always work for me, so I didn't. But some of you, many of you have already seen it. R.C. Sproul, uh, he, he was on a panel and he was asked a question. Well, if God is so patient and so kind and so forgiving, why, does he, why is the punishment for sin so great? You, if you've heard it, you remember what R.C. Sproul said? The main thing that got... What is wrong with you people? And they started kind of laughing. He says, no, I'm serious. This is what's wrong with the church today. We don't understand who God is and who we are. And then he went on. You are creatures of dust, and you sinned against an almighty God. He didn't even carry out the worst of the curse immediately as he could have, right? He showed grace even in that. Okay. So let's think about how we got here then. We're sinful people. We know what sin is. We're going to think about how we got here. What were Adam and Eve like before the fall? This is a very interesting question. What were they like before the fall? What was the state of mankind at creation? Well, Genesis 1.31 tells us, God saw all that He had made, and He had already made Adam and Eve. God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So what was the state, what was the original state of mankind? Good. This is very good. Very good. So did here's the question. Did Adam and Eve have a sin nature? Lanny says no. We know that they sinned. You know the rest of the story. They sinned. Hmm. We know they were capable of sin. Ecclesiastes 7.29, some of you may remember Ecclesiastes longingly. Ecclesiastes 7.29, I remember Jim preaching on this actually. Behold, I found only this, that God made men upright, that they've sought out many devices. God made men upright. So they were upright. They were very good. And yet they sinned. And here's how the Westminster Divines put it. This is in the larger catechism. After God, The, the question is, how did God create man? After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, formed the, the body of the man, of the dust of the ground, the woman of the rib of the man, endued them with living, reasonable, and immortal souls, made them after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts, and power to fulfill it, and dominion over the creatures. (laughs) 
That, that, that's nice. <clears throat> hey, you know, we're going to be moving into a new building here soon. Did you guys know that? We're not, we're not going to do that, I don't think, over there. Uh, but here's the last part, the part that I really want you to see. Yet subject to fall. They understood that they were, while they were created upright, they were created very good, they were subject to fall. In fact, one of the, the verse, one of the verses that's used here as the support for this, because they list scripture for support of all their points, is Ecclesiastes 7.29. Man was made upright. Okay. So where do we go from there? Uh, nowhere, right? We just stop there, because that's what scripture tells us, and that's as far as I'm concerned, that's where I would stop. There, there are a lot of philosophical try, attempts to answer this. A lot, a lot in Roman Catholic theology, they try to answer how is it that Adam and Eve sinned? What was their nature? There's the Arminian answer, which is really no answer at all. Well, God created mankind good, but He also gave them free will. It doesn't answer the question because they must have willed to sin. So we would still have that question. Right? And we know that that idea of libertarian free will is unbiblical anyway. Okay, So we'll just leave that there. You can research that more if you want to. I read John Frame's theology on this one, and he, just, uh, he comes to here and he says, that's it, stop. He says it's unfruitful to speculate. In heaven, do we have a free will is the question. What do you think of that? Do we have a free will today? <laughs> okay, we have yes and no. And both of those, depending on what you're asking, right? We have free choice. We can do as we please, but we are always subject to the sovereignty of God. The same is true in heaven. God's sovereignty never ends. So we will always be free to do as we please, but God will always be sovereign over our choices. Now, before we are regenerated, we are slaves to sin, and we have... We have no freedom from sin. As believers, regenerated believers, you do have freedom from sin, which we'll, we probably won't get to today. We'll see. All right, so let's think about what happened uh, at the fall. Yes? Yeah, if you if by free will you mean the ability to sin, then no, you wouldn't have that. You won't have free will in heaven. And by that definition, God doesn't have free will. Jesus Jesus Christ didn't have free will. Uh, the holy angels do not have free will. Okay, if free will implies the ability to sin, then there can be no heaven. There can be no perfect state. If the possibility of sin always exists, okay, you couldn't. And if you said that God has a free will, then He must have the ability to sin, but choose not to. I would be very frightened of that God. Okay? So we can say that humans have free will and that they they can do as they please. People do what they want to do, but they're either slaves to sin or they're slaves to Christ. Which one would you rather be a slave to? Uh, MacArthur wrote a book called Slave. If you haven't read it, you should read it. Great book about being a slave to Christ. It takes that word doulos that's translated weakly as bondservant in a lot of New Testament, uh, in a lot of English New Testament, 
And he's, no, it's slave. The word is slave. It means slave. And if you understand Roman slavery, it's wonderful. Wonderful. So I want to think about what happens at the fall. Not specifically, what we will look at what are the events that happen during the fall. But what I'm interested in here, are what are the effects on mankind of the fall? So what happened to the fall? What are the effects on mankind? And I'll argue that there's three of them. They're closely related. You could put them in categories of two or even one. Uh, but I'm just going to divide them into three. Okay, so what happened to the fall? You've heard the term original sin. That's kind of an unfortunate term a little bit because when you think of original sin, or the word original, you think of the first. So you think of original sin as what happened in the Garden of Eden. And that's not what the term means. Okay? Sin entered the world from this first sin. What was the first sin, actually, if we think about it? What was the first sin? You said Satan what? When Satan attempted to usurp God's throne. That's before the, the Adam and Eve and the tree and the fruit, right? So what's the first human sin? Okay, who's disbelief? Okay, so who was first? Well, Satan and then the woman. The woman. It was the woman who did this to me, right? It was the woman you sent me. She did a... Well, yeah, it, Eve's sin was prior to Adam's. Right? And it was when she first disbelieved, when she first formed the thought of doing something that might disobey God. Right? When she first began to entertain that thought. That was the first sin. That is not the sin through which sin was transmitted to humanity. Why not? Why isn't Eve's sin what is responsible for the sinful state of humanity? Why is, why is that not the case? Why is it Adam? He was second. He was responsible. Right? He is our representative head. He's our federal head or representative head. We'll see that here in a second. Uh, okay, but so, I guess we'll see it right now. Adam as federal head. Genesis 3.9. So this is just after the fall. God comes looking for them. The Lord God called to the man. God always calls to the man first in the garden. You represent the human race. You represent what human race was just his wife, him and his wife at the time. You represent your family. You represent the human race. And so he says to Adam, where are you? Right? And in Romans 5.12 tells us clearly, Therefore, just as through one man, uh, let me find it here on my page, I'm out of order. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And this is, a long, this is part of a long discussion about Adam's sin. Okay, So it's Adam. Adam. And what was Adam's sin exactly? What would you say was Adam's sin? Irresponsibility? What else? Listening to Eve. Oh. So the scripture cannot be broken. 
Then to Adam he said, God, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and totally you will eat of it all the days of your life. We'll look at the curse here in a minute. So Adam's sin was not taking, was not only in taking the fruit. That was further sin. But it was also in entertaining the thought from his wife that this might be a good idea. He also abdicated his role as she had. Okay, we'll look at that here as part of the curse. It, that's not the, the, the roles of man, men and women in marriage and in the church there. Those things are not part of the curse, they're not a result of the curse. The curse causes conflict in those roles, as we'll see. Okay? All right, so that was his sin. Uh, here are the effects of the fall. That's really hard to read, isn't it? So if you're still in Romans, turn to Romans 5. And I'm just going to look at the highlighted or the uh, bolded portions of this. By the transgression of the one, many died. For the, and in verse 16, for, the one, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. Verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Verse 18, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. And verse 19, through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Right? So, so this is one of the effects of the fall. One of the three. Inherited sin. This is what is usually meant by the term original sin. Inherited sin. This is the guilt for the sin of Adam. This is 1 Corinthians 15. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. By a man came death. Through Adam all die. That's inherited sin. This is a, a judicial sentence of guilt on all of Adam's race because of the fall, because of Adam's sin. That's the doctrine of original sin. There's more to this. We'll see here in a second. So what do you think of that? Because of Adam's sin, you're declared guilty. And your children and your grandchildren. Guilty. It's not fair, is it? It doesn't seem fair. Okay. So what do we do with those sorts of arguments? If somebody says, God, if this is what God says, and we understand this is what God says, and someone says that isn't fair, how do you respond to that? First of all, we don't charge God with moral failure. That's ridiculous. Who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? The potter can do as he pleases with the clay. The master can do as he pleases with what is, is his own. Okay. So, set that aside. You shouldn't ever accuse God of any sort of moral failure. But just think about it. The, the punishment for sin, for our sin, for my sin and yours, it's certainly deserved. <laughs> it's deserved. It, it, even, even apart from the guilt of Adam, we have our our own guilt that we've heaped up from our own sin. 
It certainly deserved. So we gain nothing by saying, well, if we didn't have the guilt of Adam, we'd be just ducky. Well, no, no, just as guilty. Would you rather, uh, the, the third one, would you rather be judged individually rather than with the, the, the sin of Adam? Would you rather be judged by your own sin? Is that, is that what you would rather, was that what you'd prefer? Would you like to be placed in the Garden of Eden in the same situation and see how you would do? Yeah, you, we're no better. And the big one, believer, if you object to bearing Adam's guilt, you have to object to bearing the righteousness of Christ. Adam's guilt is imputed to you by birth, by natural birth. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you by your second birth, in your salvation. Same thing. That's why the passage in Romans is parallels. Boop, boop, boop. Talks about Adam, Christ, Adam, Christ, Adam, Christ. Right? So that's, that's the first effect of the fall. It's the sin of Adam imputed to us. The second effect is the sin curse itself. Um, you're familiar with that, I, I'm guessing. So let's just go to here. This is from Genesis 3. So some of the, some of the things that were in the sin curse. Pain from childbirth. Diane made a big deal about that. Uh, when, when Jamie was born, though, Jamie was 10 pounds, but Diane had laryngitis. It was, it was a blessing for everybody. 10-pound <laughs> baby, with, and she was screaming, and she said, she said I'm going to die here, and no one can hear me scream. Yeah. You're going to be fine. But it, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what that must have been like. I've never, I don't believe I've ever experienced anything like that. If, if you are a woman who, who's had it, I don't know what to say. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's worth it. They say. I don't, I don't know if that's right or not. Diane didn't forget. Like they say, as soon as the baby comes, you know, the woman forget. She didn't forget. Um, Difficulties in marriage, a difficult work, and then and then we we know that one, the difficulties in work with the thistles and the briars, and, and we, it continues on today, with work being sometimes difficult and not uh, as rewarding as it will be when the sin curse is removed. Conflicts in marriage. Uh, thought that was interesting. That conf- uh, actually the bullet says death. That's not part of the marriage one. That should be over, on its own. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's different. That shouldn't be underneath there. Uh, but <laughs> depends on your perspective. We do see there, when, as part of the curse, when, when God said that the woman's desire would be for her husband, it means to, to, uh, to rule over her husband. And then it, would, it says that the, the husband would rule over his wife. It, it means to rule in an unloving way. So in the fall itself... Eve had, had usurped the role of Adam. She'd taken a leadership role in the, in the couple. And Adam had abdicated his role as leader. And that led to the fall. So I want to be really careful. There's some people who say, well, the, the male headship in the family, that's a result of the fall, and it isn't. Male headship was God's ordained plan from the beginning. What the fall did was cause this conflict and of the woman usurping the role of the husband and the husband not fulfilling his role as a loving leader. Okay, so that's 
one of the one of the effects. Then death, death came through sin, death came through the fall, physical death. And there's a lot of question, well, was there death of animals before the fall? There was certainly death of plants. So there could have been death of animals. I don't think we really know that with certainty. But there wasn't death of humans. That came after the fall. Spiritual death, alienation from God. For Adam and Eve, it was actually physically being expelled from the garden, losing that fellowship with God. But we're, we're born alienated from God, spiritually dead. And then eternal death, talking about hell, eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire. So, so these are the impacts of the curse. And there's, there's a third, a related effect of the fall, inherited corruption. Sometimes this is what people mean by original sin. We inherit from our first parents a corrupt spiritual nature. This is the doctrine of total depravity, total inability, sometimes called radical depravity. As Adam's children, we are corrupted by sin. We're sinners. And apart from regeneration, we're just dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That describes us. That's our inherited sin nature. Uh, Genesis 6, this is a time of Noah, extreme time. Of sin, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. Just keep giving you some of these. Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Titus 1.15, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. 1 Corinthians 2.14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. So you're seeing here the totality of the depravity of man. The word total there means that it impacts all parts of man. The mind the, the emotions, even your dream life. You know, you have sinful dreams, even. You're, that's still you having those dreams. Even that part of you. Your, our bodies, everything about us is corrupt. It's depraved. Okay. Sometimes called total inability because it results in an inability. Look at First Corinthians 2. An inability to understand and apprehend spiritual things like the gospel. We can't do even one thing that is totally good. That's the idea of total depravity. It's all tainted by sin. It, now, what? Well, look at one more verse and we'll see what it doesn't mean. One more passage. Just Romans 8, 5 through 8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the inability of man. The inherited corruption from the fall. 
So that's what we inherit, a spiritual deadness. Now, you know unbelievers. You, you should. I hope you know unbelievers. Did they do anything good? Sure. That's not what the to- doctor of total depravity claims, is that unbelievers can't do anything good. It's that they can't do anything perfectly good, and it's that all parts of them are tainted by sin. So they're totally corrupt in their nature. But they can do some things that are at least outwardly good, but they're not meritorious things. They're not things that are good in the sight of God. They're not done with the right motives completely. Okay? We also recognize God puts some restraints on sinful acts. It's part of common grace. He keeps us from falling too far, too deep into sin with different constraints on people's behavior. Right? You understand? Like laws and police officers, families and culture expectations, having to live in society. There's things that kind of keep the sin down. Well, we're seeing over time those constraints slowly removed, removed, removed. All right, where am I? I am right here. 10.07. Okay, well, we'll just get started on this next part. Uh, we're going to look at temptations next. I want to make sure that was the next slide. So we've been talking about the sin of Adam and its, its impact. We're talking about what happened in the garden and its impact on the human race. So we have inherited sin, that we have that guilt that sentence, that judicial sentence of guilt that comes from Adam's sin as, as he is our representative head. We, we deal with the sin curse and all the, the, the punishment that went along that. We still are dealing with that. We live in a sin curse world. It's all we know. We can imagine a world without sin, without the curse. It's the one we'll live in eternally. Physical place much like this, only with the sin curse removed. That'll be amazing. But now we live with that. And then we have inherited corruption. We have a, a sin nature. Total depravity. All right. But there's more to sin than that. We have our own sins. We have nobody to blame for those. We can't blame Adam. When we sin, it was, oh, stupid Adam. And if he had only not eaten that fruit, which might have been an apple, nobody knows. But if only he hadn't eaten that, I wouldn't have done that thing that I knew was wrong and I did on purpose. Right? We can't do that. We, oh, well, so, okay, we'll blame Eve. No, you, you, can't blame Eve you can't blame Satan. You, you, you can blame no one but yourself. And when we sin, we are responsible for our sin. And we are guilty for our sin. Now, there are things that promote sin, temptation. Uh, but we can't blame that either. Right? Temptations come. If we give in to them, that is our fault. We are to blame for that. Right? Now, let's look at temptations briefly. Uh, the church has historically divided temptations into, as, as said that temptations come from three sources. You know that little saying? The three sources. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay. That's, a, you, that's a fine way to divide it. We've got some scripture here that Divide this up a little differently. But what is the world? If we say that one of the temptations is the world, 
What's the world? It's not, is it just this ball of dirt? Is it the earth? It's the world system, right? It's not this ball of dirt. Like, I'm not tempted to sin by dirt and rocks and magma. I, I'm tempted to sin by the world system. The sinful people, they run the world. And so they build the world around their sins. If you watch television or you listen to the radio or whatever, it gives you lots of opportunity to talk with your kids about, you see, this is the world system. This is how we're different from the world. The world sees this person who believes that they are a woman, even though they're a man, and says to them, good on you. Good job. You really are a woman. And everybody should support you in that. Where the church, where, where Christ, where God says, no, you're, you're, you're lost in sin. Your mind is totally depraved. You, you think something that's not true. Let us help you. Here's the gospel. Okay? Completely different approach. That's the world system. It's completely lost. It's insane. And what is the flesh? What is the flesh in Scripture? Lust. It's, the, it's those, that sinful nature that comes from our bodies. Desires, you know. Okay, and then the devil, that's obvious. Uh, but how does he tempt us? The devil made me do it. Like, why do you, the, devil, have, the devil's never appeared to me personally and tried to get me to do something. How does the devil tempt us? It's through the world and through the flesh, right? So you can think it's, it's not really separate. He has to. He uses circumstances and people. Yeah. Emily? So Emily asks, does the devil have the power to orchestrate events to what those to tempt us? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the perfect example, right? So what can the devil do? This is, I think Luther said this, but don't, maybe he didn't. Could have been somebody else. The devil is God's devil. We have to understand that. The devil is God's devil. The devil is on a leash. He has to get permission. You see it in Job. Hey, I, I want to go mess around and do something to Job. And God says, oh, you can do this, but you can't do that. So we need not fear the devil. We serve the sovereign God of the universe. In fact, we as believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Right? We don't need to fear him who could kill the body. We need to fear him who can, who can kill both body and soul. God. Okay. So we, the devil exists. The devil does tempt us. It does it through people. It does it through other people, through the world system, okay? through media and all those other things. All right, it's 10.13, so I'm going to stop there. So we'll pick up next week at the Barber's Place, if you're younger than 20, uh, continue this on. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we are, we are grateful for what, the, what your word teaches us about our sin. We, we, we want to understand how bad our sin is. And we understand that by understanding how great you are. And we know that we've sinned against you. And it meant that the Son of God, God the Son, had to come and die on a, on a cross for those sins. So we want to, want to be very serious about our sin. And we want to make war with it, Lord. 
And Father, as we go to worship this morning, we, we pray that we would be so focused on the great gift of the gospel uh, that you overcame our sin through the gospel. And we want to worship you because of that, Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.